So today we're looking at Isaiah 25, verses 1 through 9. And before we read the scripture, let's pray together. Dear Lord, thank you for your wonderful word to us. I thank you for these, these as we'll see here, words of victory. Um, victory for not beyond just nations, but victory for all humanity against the sin that afflicts our hearts, victory over death itself. And pray that we would hear these words, that they would give us hope and strength, that we would rejoice in what you've done for us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Isaiah 25, Isaiah foretells of, of a great deliverance God was going to do. And this great victory begins with a deliverance for the people, the nation of Israel, saving them from their enemies. But this, this deliverance grows into a complete victory that reaches all people and affects the whole human condition. And we're going to read, start with verses 1 through 5. Here, Isaiah tells us the wonderful things God has done. He says, O oh Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things. Plans formed of old, faithful and sure. For you have made the city a heap the fortified city, a ruin. The foreigner's palace is a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong peoples will glorify you. Cities of ruthless nations will fear you. For you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm against a wall, like heat in a dry place. You subdue the noise of the foreigners as heat by the shade of a cloud. So the song of the ruthless is put down. And Isaiah is talking about Israel's oppressors. When he talks about the, the, the city of the foreigners, the noise of the foreigners, he's talking about the nation that is invading Israel. And he says the oppressors are completely overthrown and will never return. When God brings a victory, it is complete. It is effective. And many of our solutions, they are short-term. They alleviate the symptoms but don't deal with the root of the problem. So as soon as policies relax, the, the problems just come right back. But God's work is effective. And here he says God's wonderful work, it overthrows the oppressors. And God's wonderful work protects the oppressed. And these verses describe ruthless people like a storm against a wall. So imagine you're, you're taking shelter in a kind of a flimsy building where the walls are just maybe like thin sheets of plywood or thin sheets of metal and the storm is, is constantly blowing. The wind is constantly pounding on it and it's shaking that wall. It's rattling it. It's beating at it and you are you're huddled behind it and you're constantly wondering, will this, will this wall hold? Will this shelter hold? Or imagine the heat it talks about there. So imagine 
like you're in the you're in the inland dry desert region of southern california used to live there and i mean so temperatures easily regularly over 100 degrees very little moisture in the air hard it it's hard to find shelter it's hard to find shade and the heat is it's just all around you and then imagine a a blast of hot air just because comes rolling through and when that hot air i mean it's already hot right so when that, and then this heat wave just comes and when it hits you it, it's like a, a force just pushing you down beating you down and maybe that kind of feels like our society today because i mean I, I hope no one here is, is literally being attacked or assaulted, but the voices of opposition to, to God and his ways, are there. They're, they're rattling the walls of our lives. And the intensity of animosity, that it, it's like oppressive heat in the desert. But it says, but for the poor and needy, God is a wall of protection that no wind can rattle. God is shelter from the heat. His presence is shade in our lives. He is relief and comfort for us. And Isaiah's promises, or God's promises spoken by Isaiah, were fulfilled in history. Uh, first, the Assyrian Empire tried to invade Israel. That's the, the first foreign invader that he talks about here. And they came up, and in, and in history, they came, invaded the whole land, came right up to the walls of Jerusalem. And they, they thought Jerusalem would fall next. But they did not count on the wall of God's divine protection. And the people turned to God for their help. And the, overnight, the Assyrian army was killed by a plague. Hundreds of thousands of soldiers overnight gone and the whole army, so the, those, the, the leaders retreat to Assyria and Assyria never came back to bother, to, to invade Israel again. And a, and a couple years, a couple decades later, within 20 years I want to say, as if I recall correctly, another empire comes in, overthrows Assyria and Assyria and Assyria was so thoroughly destroyed that historians, archaeologists thought that Assyria was a myth. They did not, they thought it was just from the stories. They didn't believe it was ever a real historical empire because they couldn't find any evidence of it uh, until they finally found the ruined city of Nineveh about a hundred years ago. But up till then, they thought, no, Assyria, Assyria, Nineveh, that's all made up. It's a myth. Because it was so thoroughly destroyed, no one could find evidence of it. So when the people turned to God, he protected them. He was their shelter. But a generation or two later, Israel's people did not turn to God. They refused to turn to God. And so now a new empire comes in, the Babylonian Empire. They came and they destroyed Israel. They destroyed Jerusalem. And they took the survivors in captivity back to Babylon. And they stayed there for 70 years. But God protected his people in exile. He preserved them. And after those 70 years, he provided a way for them to return to the promised land. And God restored the nation of Israel. 
But again, Babylon, another nation comes, another new empire comes in, Persia rolls over Babylon, and Babylon was no more and never again. And now it's, just read about it in the history books. It's all Babylon is. So that God, there's fulfillment of these verses in history. And this fulfillment teaches us that God is mighty to save. He is, he, when he acts delivery, he acts in a mighty way. And God is also compassionate. He is merciful. But he is also gracious. He gives this as a gift. And it, because we need to understand that the oppression by Babylon upon Israel was punishment for Israel's wickedness. So Israel did not deserve any compassion or mercy. They were suffering because they, had, they were guilty of sin. Just, just a chapter earlier, chapter 24, verses 5 and 6 says this, The earth lies defiled under its inhabitants, for they have transgressed the laws violated the statutes, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse devours the earth, and its inhabitants suffer for their guilt. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are scorched, and few men are left. So the Israelites, they, they were suffering for their own wickedness. They were being punished. They were guilty of oppression, injustice, idol worship, sexual immorality, and child sacrifice. These were the sins of Israel that they refused to repent of and that God punished them for when they refused to repent. So they were suffering justly for their evil. But in the midst of their suffering, God still had compassion on them. And his mighty act of deliverance was a gift, a gift motivated by his love. So the question for us in our time in our nation is how are we like the nation of Israel? And I think we are like Israel. As a nation, we are like Israel in their sin. Because Israel was so drunk in its sin, it was blind to the truth and would not listen. And there are many signs around us that, that our nation is not well and, and I, I could pick a, from a lot, and you, you know them, but I'm just going to talk about three that have, three that have just happened in the last week. Um, and I, it could go the week before, and then the, there's many, but uh, just three here from the last week. Uh, first of all, the Grammys Music Awards included a song that was overtly satanic. And the audience applauded, and mainstream media critics raved about it. And they did this because their dogma, their worldview requires that they celebrate transgender artists regardless of their content. It doesn't matter what the content is. They're, they just, they have to celebrate it. Now, anti-Christian performances are nothing new. I know you've seen these things throughout the decades and years, and it's not new. But when evil is celebrated and anyone who criticizes it is silenced or punished, and, and this is at the highest levels of, of the most influential musicians and artists. 
then we're headed in a dark direction. We're embracing a dark direction there. So culturally, we are not well. Secondly, leadership. If you were watching the news at all, I'm sure you heard about the balloon. <laughs> and our government took a whole week to shoot down a Chinese spy balloon. Now, fortunately, the second one was shot down, like, you know, same day, basically. That was, that was better. Um, but the communist government of China does this because they think they can. And they think they can because too many of our leaders have demonstrated a lack of moral will. A lack of the will. They lack the will to act. They lack the moral clarity to stand up to bad actors. Okay? And that, that's a moral dilemma then. That, that, is, a, that is a lack of, of courage and of moral clarity. It's a confusion of right and wrong. And, and we, we can't, our leaders can't even tell the difference. They don't know what to stand up for anymore. So leadership is not, well... And third, politics. At the State of the Union, there was at least one politician that I've confirmed, probably more though, they were wearing a lapel pin, and it had the word abortion, and in the, instead of the O, there was a heart. Now, why is this a big deal? It, it, it is a big deal, because that lapel, I mean, you could have put so many different things there. You could have put, I heart woman's health. That, that is, woman's health, that is a good thing. That's a good cause. You could have put, I heart choice. Autonomy is a good thing. It's never justification to kill another human being, but, it, it, but autonomy is a good thing. But instead it said, I heart, you know, love abortion. It was celebrating the killing of the child. It was celebrating death. And clearly, more and more, it's the pro-choice movement has become the pro-abortion movement. And, and many from my generation and younger, they bought the lie that, that abortion is a necessary evil to protect women's health. And if, and if anyone believing that is hearing me <laughs> um, through, through the recording and the internet or wherever, you know, uh, all I can say is, is, is wake up and, and get out of that movement. Get out of that. It is a tide that is going to pull you in to the celebration of the killing of children to the celebration of death because that's where that movement is moving it's moving full speed to the celebrating of death so how are we as a nation like the people in these verses our society is sick with sin and then there's and you know i mean there's the other examples of injustice and other things we could go on through uh, but like them, God is graciously calling us, both as individuals and as a nation, to turn to him. He's calling us to repent of our sins and to follow him. He's calling us to look to him as your protection and as your shelter. So don't, don't put your trust in the strength of our military might. Don't put your trust in the, the wealth of our economy. And don't put your trust in, in dynamic leaders. God holds every nation in his hands. He holds us in his hands. And, and if our nation reaps the consequences of our sin, God knows how to preserve his faithful people in the middle of that. And he's demonstrated that throughout history. 
We can hold to that. And if another nation comes in and devastates us like Babylon did with Israel, God holds that nation in his hand too, and he knows how to put an end to their evil. Nations rise and nations fall, but God protects and preserves his people. Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Matthew 16, 18. The worst forces of evil cannot overcome God's church. So nations rise and fall, but God is the shelter of his people. And God is not only the hope for our problems in our times and in our nation, he is the hope for all humanity, for all time. Because there, there is a transcendent victory that we look forward to. And I want to continue in Isaiah. On this mountain... The Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. God promised prosperity, abundance. He will prepare this on Mount Zion. And so I, as you heard me share with the children's message, you know, imagine being up in the mountains and you, that mount, the mountain streams, the mountain waterfalls just flowing down the mountains. And God's feast, it's an overflowing of abundance. It's like those streams just flowing down the mountain. So he says this, this is a delicious feast. This is a, a quality feast. This is a life-giving feast. And sometimes when we eat a big meal at the holidays, you know, we... we there's that dish, it's so tasty, but when we're eating it, you just that you know that, oh, I'm, I'm going to be paying for this later. I know. <laughs> but there's, there's nothing like that at God's feast. Everything there is enjoyable and good for you. I have some clues in this description here that God is doing something bigger than national rescue. God is, is hosting this banquet for all peoples, not just Israel. And then he says he will swallow up the shroud. When I think of the covering, the veil, I think of the, the a body, shrouded, veiled. God will, he will swallow up the shroud that covers all peoples. So while we are eating the banquet, this wonderful feast, God is swallowing up the curse that lies on all humanity. God's mighty work is moving way beyond delivering one nation from another nation. He is delivering all humanity from what afflicts our human condition, sin and death. And Scripture teaches that death is a consequence of sin in our soul. Romans 5, verse 12 
and verse 17. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And verse 17. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. When Adam sinned in the garden, all humanity was infected with sin in their soul and committed sins of their own and are doomed to die. Now, the death and sin are, are intimately connected. It's the curse. But God promised that he will swallow up death for us. And Jesus did this by dying on the cross for your sins in your place. Jesus swallowed up death. He consumed it. He tasted death for everyone. And you, we could also say he was swallowed up by death. He was consumed by death because he was, he was fully, completely dead. But raised to life to overcome death forever. Hebrews 2.9 says, But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. And 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 57. And our, our, our youth might recognize these verses because they're part of what was read at last weekend's winter Bible camp. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the ultimate victory foretold by Isaiah was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And this is a victory not just for one nation, but for all humanity. And it's received by each person who puts their trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He will wipe away tears from all faces. He will remove the reproach of his people. Not only paying for your sins, but making you good again. So the, the reproach is gone. You are justified by his grace. He has declared you good. The infection of sin inside is defeated. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And this is a, a twofold victory. Because the, the victory over death, that has been won and done. So that the victory over sin and death in you, that, that is experienced in this life. But the, uh, this feast he describes, the perfect feast, the heavenly feast, when that, the victory that will abolish oppression and death forever 
That will occur when Jesus comes again. So you can look forward to a world made perfect. But as we wait, people will still oppress people. And nations will still make war against other nations. But evil does not have to win over your heart. Because your heart has been set free in Jesus Christ. You can rejoice, even in suffering, even in sorrow and misery. You still have this joy in Christ. So whether it's good times or bad, the Lord is your shelter. He has the victory. He has the victory over nations. He has the victory over sin. And he has the victory over death itself. And he gives that victory to us in Christ Jesus. We know him. The one who has the victory, we know him. And he is with us and he is in us. Isaiah 25 verse 9 says, It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Or as 1 Corinthians 15, 57 said, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. God has given us the victory. There is reason for joy. So I ask you to, to stand, and we're going to express that joy as we sing together uh, the vic hymn, Victory in Jesus, number 542. We're going to sing verses 1 and 3.